1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. everybody welcome to another episode of rev covery we are so glad to have you here uh this is a podcast about changing your mind or changing your direction or changing your career really just changing your life and recovering from the life you had and stepping into the life that is in front of you my name is justin my co-host is sarah this week we are interviewing Brian Recker. Uh, he was a pastor for a while and now is a man on the internet, I guess. <laughs> and But he has some fascinating things to say about the journey from certainty into uncertainty and the journey from being kind of very sure about where you're at to being very unsure and the steps that go along the way. And we are very just honored to have him on the show and I think you're really going to enjoy all that he has to say. Please stick around for the end for the poem or quote or whatever we call it at the end, just kind of the reflection, as well as uh, you'll hear more details about Sarah and I and us going to Theology Beer Camp later in October. As always, if you want to be a part of this community or continue the conversation, you can do so on Discord through our Patreon, patreon.com slash revcovery. Uh, you'll get all the details there. You'll be able to join up. And we have such a great time on our Discord and uh, with all of our friends talking about the episodes, talking about life, helping each other, posting recipes, brunch, all the things. So, okay, without further ado, we're going to get into our conversation with Brian Record. Friends, thank you for joining another episode of Recovery, a podcast about leaving ministry, staying in ministry, transitioning in ministry, transitioning jobs. We have the vaguest uh, podcast description we've been told. So basically, anyone who has ever transitioned in or out of anything, you are welcome to uh, use your earballs and listen to us. We're really glad to be part of this. Um, I'm Sarah, and my co-host is... My name is Justin Gentry, and I, I am the co-host of this podcast, I can confidently say. We are so excited to welcome Brian. Brian, I do need to explain to you that um, Justin pauses before introducing himself. Oh, no, I've heard it. Yeah, no, I, I went back and listened yeah. to a couple, yeah. and one some of them were very long. Oh, there's one that's like sometimes four I'm hours, but not, that's an accident. Yeah, I, you know, sometimes I don't know where I'm at and what I'm doing, and I just have to, it takes me Give a bit a to realize I'm Justin. That's who oh, I am. Oh, yeah, so it's more of an existential, I'm, okay, anyway, we are so <laughs> excited today to introduce someone that, a, a bunch of people sent me this person, Brian Recker, uh, and it is Recker, right? Is that how you say it? Yeah, that's the name, like a home wrecker, like a church wrecker, wrecker of various things. I love this wrecker of various things. I love it. Whatever uh, you need to send me your Instagram and just be like, this person in you should be best friends. And then I did something I never do, which is I like slipped into your DMs and then you were like, that's not slipping into my DMs, Sarah. But I was like, I did it. I like. <laughs> You were very apologetic about it. You're like, this isn't a weird DM slide. I, I have a podcast. I promise it's real. It's not a fake podcast. I did get, well, <laughs> that would be because I literally, I had an incident where someone said they had a podcast that didn't. Yep. Anyway, so there's that. Yeah. Uh, that was a really awkward story, but it's true. <laughs> but I looked at all of Brian's videos and the work you've done and the things you have experienced are definitely things that are um, those who listen can relate to for sure. And I am really excited because you do such a great job of doing what I call public theology, like having conversations around stuff that people are asking and wondering about. So Brian, we, <laughs> since you said you've listened to some of these podcasts, you know, the first question we asked sounds like we're asking you a prison question, but how long were you in for? And what do you think you got in for it for? That's not even a real sentence, but you get it. How long were you in for? What did I get in for? Yeah. What made you go into ministry? 
Right. So I was a pastor for eight and a half years. And I mean, how do you unravel what you got in for? I mean, there's layers. Mm -hmm. I think the basest one is that my dad was a pastor. Um, So just, you know, it was destiny. It was, um, he was a, my my dad is a fundamental Baptist, independent fundamental Baptist pastor. Um, Him and my mom met at Bob Jones University, uh, which is like bastion of fundamentalism. I also nice. went to and graduated from Bob Jones University following in my dad's footsteps. Oh, wow. Um, and um, I moved away from fundamentalism into a more mainstream evangelicalism. That was my big progressive step was to become a regular ass conservative evangelical <laughs> instead of an independent fundamental Baptist. You but could you wear know, jeans instead of slacks. Yeah, oh. I could have tattoos and an occasional beer as long as you still said the gay people were going to hell you were in, you know? <laughs> Mm-hmm. This is actually the That's, defining line. You've done it. Well, I found that really. a lot of guys who are, and I will say men, uh, who are evangelical pastors, they're like super into whiskey right now, guys. Like that's, they're like, yeah, I'm into whiskey. Like that's the new thing. I had my whiskey phase. Yeah. That's for those reformed Theo bros. Yeah. I'm out of that. I'm deconstructed. I'm a tequila boy. <laughs> nice. There you go. Nice. nice. I like this. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to just backtrack though to that question because that does make it sound like the only reason I became a pastor was because my dad is a pastor. That's just me being introspective and being like, oh, do you think that might have had something to do with it, Brian? Like, yeah, I'm psychologizing a little bit. I, I wouldn't have ever said that that's why I became a pastor. I did, you know, when I was at Bob Jones, I never wanted to be a pastor. Actually, when I was in fundamentalism, I had no desire to. When people would ask me growing up, are you going to be a pastor like your dad? My answer was always no. It was when I discovered some evangelical voices where it, it just felt more like, oh, I could see myself. Like I could never see myself doing what my dad was doing. It was so buttoned up, the King James, the suits every Sunday, the rules. It was so excessive. But when I saw some people like, I mean, Tim Keller was really the guy that got me excited. I was like, oh, like mm-hmm. he's smart, professorial, New York City, like savvy, culturally, you know, literate. That was like appealing to me. I could see myself being a pastor in that like world, basically. And I also got excited about the gospel that they were preaching, which was much more about what Jesus did rather than just a list of rules. And so that vision of the gospel did excite me for for a long time. Now, ultimately, I found that to be quite deficient as well, the evangelical gospel. But it was better than what I had had. Mm-hmm. And so it did kind of motivate me to and kind of capture me to want to want to pastor. Yeah. Tim Keller I mean, is such an interesting yeah. figure like that in the like, there are so many people that were like way fundamentalists that were like, Timothy Keller was my Rob Bell. You know what I mean? <laughs> like he was the like pr- super progressive voice that was yeah. calling me out of, you know, fundamentalism. And then we're like, Timothy Keller, really? You know, right. but it's like, but, but when you're, when you're that far conservative, right. he seems like this radical, like progressive liberal, you know. Totally. Yeah. There's always somebody to the right of you so that you can feel like, oh, I'm a centrist actually. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's, it's really fascinating. I'm in the radical middle. It's fascinating too, yeah. because I think I also hear folks who are within like intelligent, like people who are more of a questioning, more going to ask questions. Timothy Keller is permission to be scholarly within religion, which a lot of fundamentalism, you actually should really kind of question like the ivory tower. And so Tim Keller is a safe way to like kind of address that and allow yourself to be in some ways academic in a way that was sort of like definitely like, oh, this could be, this is suspect. If you start like doing like that kind of work, it's suspect, but he became like this for people who really wanted to be academic, what weren't given permission, I feel like he was yeah, really. And that was very appealing to me. I mean, I might not come up. I don't know. I, I'm a five on the Enneagram. So like knowing and understanding is big. I like to read. And, and that, so the way he was really did appeal to me. That being said, I, um, man, I had some very complicated emotions around his passing Ugh. because mm-hmm. at that point I had already deconstructed evangelicalism and I was kind of angry at him in a way because I feel like I would have moved away from evangelicalism a lot sooner oh. if it weren't for voices like his that kind yeah. of kept me in there longer because he nuanced things. So like <laughs> his whole thing, and I got to be pretty good at this too, was polishing a turd. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. he could take a bad piece of theology, like anti-gay theology or complementarianism and he could polish that turd up and nuance the shit out of it and make it sound like oh it's actually good you know when you put it that way wow tim oh when you put it that way tim Mm -hmm. 
And I took notes and I got to be pretty good at that sort of thing as well. And it was almost fun for me to do the work and be like, okay, I've got to believe this, right? So if I've got to fucking believe this, then I'm going to make it as palatable as possible for me yeah. and people. 100%. And yep. Tim did that really well. And I, I was like, okay, I can do that too. I can, I can make this shit sound good. I can make it sound compassionate because I wanted it to be compassionate because I wanted to be a compassionate person. And then I realized, oh shit, I'm I'm the problem because I'm I'm making mm-hmm. a bad thing sound like a good thing. <laughs> well, and yeah. it's interesting. I was yeah. like two days ago in, in a coffee shop and this guy was reading a book by Timothy Keller. But it was actually by Timothy Keller and his wife. But Yeah, they did the uh, which one the marriage one. Yeah. It but his name's huge. It says something something of marriage. <laughs> Timothy Keller and her name is in like script. And his wife, blah, blah, blah. I don't know her name. Uh, Karen right. Keller, whatever her name is. And Kathy. Kathy, um, of course. Kathy Keller. And I, you, and I just like looked at That's it and I was like. the most wife of Tim Keller name you can have. I just thought, <laughs> like, I, this, is, this is the thing is this guy was like earnestly reading this. Um, prime, yeah. Was it Justin Bieber? Justin Bieber was reading that. I, 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 TMZ caught Justin Bieber reading uh, Tim Keller's marriage book when him Jeez. and. Um, the Baldwin girl we're dating. Aww, oh, wow. Isn't that cute? I thought that was really cute at the time. I was an evangelical pastor. So I was like, he's one of us. He's one we of got us. him. Oh, we got him. You know what? He's a fascinating character. I don't know if you know this, Justin, but one of our former folks that we had on, former guests, uh, Kathleen Falsani, she and Justin got quite close. And she actually wrote a book called Believer, which is really about how people, a cult of personality around Justin, but also his his difficulty around his actual faith. And it's a... It's an interesting book because she's a like scholar, but she has like, she has complicated feelings about him as well, because she's like, I know what family he came out of. I know what demons this kid has. Like, and it is fascinating as a Canadian, I have to say that, you know, what he did to the Toronto Maple Leafs jersey is unforgivable, but other things I'll give him. Yeah, I don't know. He designed a jersey for my hockey team and it was not, not. Sounds like you need to let that go. Okay, first I'll ask for forgiveness to the baby Tim Keller. Um, yeah, I, I think there is something to be said about this idea that it's an approachable faith and we have two sides to a lot of things, which is like fundamentalism, which scares the shit out of a lot of people. And then the ivory tower, which scares the shit out of a lot of other people. So people who can find this interesting middle ground that kind of harkens to one or the other, people are really drawn in. Like how many people on our show, Justin, have mentioned Tim Keller or Rob Bell as like people who... Mm-hmm. Gave them permission to be different than the molds they had seen. Because mm-hmm. they had this scholarly, like, interesting, different way of spinning something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, wa- I wanted to do that, but also it, it worked on me. I mean, it did. I, I did fall in love with the gospel that he was preaching. There was, there was beauty in that. Mm-hmm. I think the problem with it is that it just leaves so many people out. Mm-hmm. It works for, and so, uh, you know, I, a lot of people talk about church hurt and church trauma religious trauma. I can't say that I experienced religious trauma and church trauma personally. I grew disillusioned with the systems that I was a part of, but if I'm honest, those systems were built for me. I did really, really well in those systems. Mm-hmm. And, and it took me a while to realize this works for me. This doesn't work for everybody. It leaves a lot of people out. How did that kind of eye-opening thing happen? Because if you grew up in a fundamental setting and you went to Bob Jones, I mean, it is the package deal. like. You're hip. You get to have some tattoos and be kind of cool. Like, how did you begin? Can you talk a little bit about the unraveling? Yeah, yeah. so the eye-opening moment, I mean, and I don't know. Sometimes I feel so silly that it took me so long to see some things. I was not very politically involved until 2015 with the rise of Donald Trump is when I, like, had my eyes opened a little bit. That's probably uh, probably with a lot of people, to be honest. Oh, 100%. (laughs) I remember vividly when he announced his uh, candidacy and we all thought it was a joke. And that Sunday, and I don't remember the exact sermon illustration, but he felt like safe sermon fodder to make fun of his, you know, his candidacy. Cause it just seemed like we're all on the same page here. This is ridiculous, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. this hubris, whatever. I can't remember what I said, but, but it wasn't very long after that, that I realized, oh shit, not only does he have a chance, but I think the people in my church are excited about that. <laughs> And so I, that was the first feeling when that was the first time I remember feeling this, this gulf between where I was at and where the people in my church were at 
um, generally speaking. And that was a little bit like, oh shit. Now it was easier, but what, what kept me around longer, I think too, was the fact that the other pastors were, none of the pastors were big Trump guys on, on our team. And so I was a multi-site, uh, I led a site, I was a live preaching. So I preached every Sunday, but it was a part of a broader, you know, family of congregations type of a thing. And so I had some autonomy, but I was still kind of accountable to this broader team. And none of those guys, to include the lead guy, were really big Trump guys. But there was definitely the the attitude of, we're not going to make this political. You know, the gospel is not political. We're not going to get. And so we didn't use names like Trump from the pulpit or like talk about parties. Like we wanted to just stay out of that completely. And um, I was okay with doing that for a little while, especially because I could still address certain issues. I tried to talk about things like immigration. I mean, I thought like his rhetoric around immigration was so unhelpful. And so in my mind, I felt for a few years like I was doing a good thing because, you know, a lot of people in the church are listening to Fox News five nights a week. And so it's like on Sundays, I have the opportunity to not just preach to the choir, but to really challenge some people about loving their neighbors and that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, it took me long, an embarrassingly long amount of time to realize that unless you're getting specific and actually challenging people about these things, you're really just giving them permission to not change. Because if it was an actual problem, you'd be talking about it. And it was like the biggest discipleship problem. Like evangelical COVID was really the the breaking point. I didn't I didn't resign until until 2020 in COVID. Seeing evangelicals be worse on their worst behavior you know they, they were the bad guys like in terms of who didn't love their neighbors well during covid it really felt like it was the evangelical church and then also um you know the the campaign trump it was like more passionate than ever and a lot of people that were on the fence in 2016 they were like fully bought in in 2020 in my church and it was also just a pause that i needed to like really reconsider and evaluate the fact that like i felt more and more like my, my being a part of the that uh, an evangelical institution was putting my stamp of approval on something that I, that I couldn't anymore. And so, and thankfully, you know, my wife had a business that was doing well uh, at the time to where I think a lot of pastors don't have even the economic, there's a materialist uh, analysis that needs to be done on pastoral transitions because the reality is a lot of these guys, their wives don't work. They can't even consider changing their mind on accepting LGBT people because they would lose so much that they have to push that down very far. The number of pastors that I know that consciously have just made a choice to say nothing, even though they disagree for the economic reasons is not insignificant. And then that's not counting the ones that I suspect subconsciously have just had to suppress it in order to survive. I can't I can't like pathologize people from far away necessarily, but there are a few folks that I'm like, I don't know if deep down you actually believe this. I think you're just trying to survive. You know, I, and, and not even just survival, but also just like you feel the weight of an institution on your shoulders. So I think of a guy like Tim Keller, Tim Keller's a genius. He's so culturally savvy. The guy he knew, I don't know. Like that was another reason I was angry at him. Part of me was like, there's no way that some part of you didn't, see past some of this stuff, but you couldn't do it. You had the gospel coalition on your shoulders. You had this big Mm -hmm. reputation on your shoulders. It it was too much, too many people looking to you. And, you know, you could have been a voice that could have really shifted some things, but you didn't do it. And maybe that's me thinking too well of it. Maybe he didn't really have that secret deep down, but it's like, I don't know. I, I feel like a guy like that. I mean, that's the thing that comes up again and again for a lot of people in our community online, our online community is this idea of like what impact today someone just joined our community and was like, um, I'm thinking about leaving my community. Is anyone else worried about finding a job that feels meaning like all these things and like making sure you're jumping into something that's be- like better or as good as because the truth is, is right now the job market is so incredibly hard for so many people. And then if you're jumping from something where uh, either you're single or you're married and the other person is not bringing stuff in, like whatever it might be. Like not having that support and just jumping in to the unknown is really, really scary. Oh, totally. My resume was so weird. I, I was a Marine actually before I was a pastor. So what? my resume was literally just me. Yeah, yeah. I was a Marine intelligence officer. That's how I ended up in North Carolina. I got stationed on the coast. Wow. Um, I, was, I was going to One Harbor, was the, the church. I was going there in Eastern North Carolina while I was a Marine. And my plan, I had told the leaders there, hey, when I got out, I was going to use the GI Bill, go to seminary, and I wanted to plant a church. And so they basically were like, hey, instead of going somewhere else, we want to start a site right where you're living. Why don't you, when you get out, help us launch this site? And so that's basically what I did. So anyway, but my resume was so fucking weird. Like nobody, when I tried to get jobs, it's like, 
I was a Marine and I was a pastor. And they're like, those are both really cool. But like, this is not, they didn't know. What transferable skills do you have? Yeah, I had to apply to many, many. My shock over you being a Marine is as shocked as, uh, who's the guy from, this is going to show my nerd. uh, Who's the guy from Star Wars? Come on, guys. The actor that was in the military. Adam Driver? Yes. Hey, he's me. So yeah, so that's I, I'm very I'm not a militant person. I'm not proud of the fact that I was a Marine. I enjoy the Marine Corps. I am anti-war. I think if I could psychologize myself again, I think there was a particular view of masculinity mm-hmm. that I knew I didn't really fit into, and maybe I was trying to prove something to myself or to other people. Mm-hmm. I don't have regrets about it. it was- that was CrossFit for me. Yeah, I didn't join the military. Yes, you did. But I got really into CrossFit <laughs> for like a decade, which was like the military in some ways. So is that like why I like was in a sorority and danced for so many years? Is I was just like really trying to fit into the feminine mystique? Really just trying Indeed. to perform it. You have to be as radically honest with yourself as me and Justin mm. are being. And maybe mm-hmm. come to that conclusion. I mean, I did weep during yep. Barbie. So I feel like there is something to be said. I just, there is this part of me that... I feel like so many people on this podcast come on, come on and they are it, the earnestness with which people, it feels like once they start to really be earnest about the reasons why they got in, it's like they can't stay. So like you got in because you, you really wanted to be called, like you experienced a, uh, someone who was being what you felt like was culturally relevant. Then you yourself are kind of actually starting to question the culture around it. And it's it's fascinating to me. It's like almost like, the level to which people start to really engage it is a level to which they have to figure out a different, either a different way to do it. Like our last you know, guest who did left and did a different sort of ministry or you're just sort of left with going, I don't know how to do, I don't know how to do what feels like the right thing within this structure. I mean, I wanted to do good. I wanted, I, I loved about my job that, you know, I felt like I was doing something really important and I was helping people. And it was, there was a tipping point at some point where I felt like I was actually not helping people. I was actually potentially harming people by Mm -hmm. remaining in that, you know? And when I started to feel that way and it became more and more obvious to me, I ultimately had to make a plan to leave because yeah, I think by not here, here's what it was. And it was really the Trump thing because by not talking about it again, it was the, the people love Trump. If I'm not saying that is morally wrong and makes Jesus sad. <laughs> if I'm not actively saying that, then they must think, well, my pastor seems very compassionate and thoughtful. If he's not saying anything about my, this, then this must be fine. And so I'm really, I'm, I'm putting an endorsement on that. I mean, they were in, you know, those bo- uh, boater parades, the Trump hmm. parade. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. the boat parade? Oh, yeah. I was like in my, I mean, that was through our town and I would go on Facebook and see like our church members in the boats with the Trump flags. I'm like, I'm just supposed to like see them on Sunday morning and be like, oh, how was your boating weekend? You have a good time out there? <laughs> Fly mm-hmm. on the flag, like, and just not say anything. How is that pastoring people? Yeah. Like, what? Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. a horse's ass at that point. Like, what is the point of me is what I felt. What is the point of me? So yeah. that was my exodus was over that. But what was very interesting, and, and it's almost like when it came to issues of like gender and sexuality, I honestly did not shift on those until I quit. Oh. Because, yeah, it, it's almost like when I studied those issues, again, I was like the, I was like the Tim Keller of the group in the sense that I was the guy that they would get to talk about the hard things because I could really like massage it and juju it up. Mm-hmm. Just like, and so I, I was, you know, I read, but when I would study it and read it, I'm again, I, I'm, I have a position within an institution that has a particular belief about these issues already. And so I know that I have to stand up for those beliefs. I'm going to have to explain and unpack those beliefs. And so even though I think maybe I'm being objective, when I'm studying it, I'm not really being objective. I'm studying it to further entrench myself and be able to explain and unpack and teach that particular way of thinking. And so it wasn't until as soon as that weight came off my shoulders of being responsible for that institution, I all of a sudden was like, oh my gosh, I... I'm definitely, I definitely am an egalitarian and I want to affirm gay people like ASAP. Like what, I I don't know why that didn't occur to me before, but it was like, it was almost like blinders came off, but it was all the the weight of being paid by a church and the responsibility of, to that community as well. And being so integrated in that community, you're thinking about all the ways that those people would turn their back on you. If you changed your mind was too much to bear. It was like, I had to be out of it. And then all of a sudden it was obvious to me. I can't imagine being in a complementarian situation, guys. Like I, 
it really took me moving to that's because you're a Jezebel. That well, yeah. Ew, it's not the first time I call that one of those women preachers. I know she's biased guys. because she's a woman. Guys, I and, and it's interesting too because I've been um, listening to a lot of uh, podcasts about history stuff and sort of learning kind of. And I had studied like American Christianity, and um, as someone who moved to America when they were in high school, like learning sort of the history of um, how we kind of how we got here in some ways this idea that like like guys that's like made up what are you doing <laughs> and I just and then people are like still like oh no no and then i lived in mississippi and weirdly complementarianism is not talked about as much in mississippi as it is in southern california because the area i live is where the jesus people movement came from and so mm-hmm. a lot of like even like francis schaefer um billy graham's people that like were really supportive of sort of that movement that was coming out of it's very talk about a chocolate covered poo, guys. Like people really like like oh, I can wear jeans to church and just have to say my wife is like doing her thing and I'm doing my thing and it's complimentary. Like it's interesting how theology really got sort of shifted and yet um, sort of sold as no, no, this is what it's always been, and it's like no, not at all. Yeah. When you get distance from it, it does seem really bonkers that anybody believes that but like when you're Mm -hmm. in it and that's all you've ever known i mean i was raised in an even more strict version of that right where like in my in the church i grew up in women wouldn't you know even pray publicly or like do the announcements or stuff like that (laughs) like they wouldn't yeah i mean like even they they didn't get the mic really at all (laughs) in in the fundamentalism i grew up in and so like at least you know in my church oh yeah we women we got worship leaders they do announcements they can close the service even you know Oh, preach. Wow. It does not get crazy, but well, you do on so Mother's much. Day. Why? They can preach. Let me tell you about my favorite thing. I had so in my town that I uh, moved to after seminary. I there was this like super hip church that everybody went to around my age, and they're still all my age. Like it's that one of those churches where everyone is like the median age is twenty four. Super good looking, everyone all the time. And so I went there because like when you're a lady pastor, it's like not easy to find front. Like it's a weird. We can unpack that for days, but I like the, <laughs> my friends from that church, like I would go to these small groups and these, all these people would have these, they'd have these, like what they thought were super deep conversations. And that was when I was first hearing about Dallas Willard and all these people that like, I did not, as someone who grew up in not a non-denominational situation and then studied at a school that those are not considered scholars. I did not know about Timothy Keller or, so I was like learning this stuff and I was trying to be hip and cool. So I was like learning all this stuff. But my friends all from my like small group came and heard me preach. And one of the girls was like, man, you are just so good at, good at giving messages. I was like, thanks. I was like, I really enjoy preaching. And she kept like saying messages. And then I realized because I was a woman, I couldn't preach, guys. I didn't know. <laughs> I was just like, cool speech. oh, she's like, literally, you're in such yeah. an incredible presenter. Is what she kept saying, and I was like, "Very." I was You're like, yeah. really good at giving those weekly TED talks, right? And I just had this like, I didn't realize what until later. One of my friends was like, "You know, she can't say you preach, right?" You know, it's a funny, a goofy thing that um, churches do in the because I was in like a it was Reform Charismatic, and in some of the more charismatic churches, a common thing was they were pushing the boundaries because they would let women do little sermonettes, but it had to be couched inside of like a sermon from an elder. So it'd be like the elder would introduce the thing, but it was like he passed the mic. So it was like, it was almost like under his authority, she could do a talk Ooh. couched like within oh. nested, a nested, a nested talk inside of a talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I an inception. You you can I feel like she comes in. up from behind yeah, between yeah, his yeah. legs and is like, could, I've got a thought. <laughs> a female voice if you incepted it inside of a male talk. Like I don't like it. It's yeah. pretty. She put in. She was putting the, the like the his his cover of headship. <laughs> exactly. Little umbrella. Under the umbrella. Yeah. 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 Under the umbrella that if you examine that diagram closely, the only umbrella that works is the woman's umbrella because the <laughs> rain falls through all of the other ones. Oh. Do you ever see those? Like that's such a good point. The only one that actually works is the woman's God's umbrella. Let's rain through the man's umbrella. Let's rain through (laughs) women. We're just over here covering people. It's it's. Yeah. And it's a I I don't I laugh. You know, I laughed when you said that because out of uncomfortableness and pain for knowing what people are like stuck in that. Like there are like it has silenced so many powerful and interesting and strong women 
I mean, even today, I noticed you talked about like womanists. You talked about Dr. Will Gaffney, who is an incredible human and a wonderful writer. And just how much you miss when you can't open yourself up to hearing all these different voices. And and you don't have to say, you know, just like with any voice, like I can read Timothy Keller. And if I believe that my faith is not going to be damaged by those things, like, I mean, my faith is different, sure. but <laughs> I think there, if there's no fear of being led astray, which so many people are afraid of the slippery slope of opening your mind to something different, there's just such a beautiful palette that you miss out on when you're like only given like a couple of paint colors, like you got to read this guy. Uh, this guy doesn't hate women as much. <laughs> this guy doesn't think gays are the worst. <laughs> like, and you're like, oh, wow, what an open-minded human. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's like a weird, like, I don't know, like Overton window, I guess of like, like, okay, well this one's terrible. This one, like he doesn't hate gay people. Like, <laughs> Actively, well, the, so the the book that I was my go to on that issue when I was an evangelical pastor was Preston Sprinkle's book "People to Be Loved." Oh, Mother of God! Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. So, like, I loved I, that one because, again, even the blessed. title, it's like, yeah. this sounds nice. Yeah, the people mm-hmm. to be loved. I like so it. nice. <laughs> and a person I mean, like Preston Sprinkle. To, no, no. Just to be clear, they're not going to heaven. They are, mm-hmm. they're going to hell, but we love that. Legitimately, love though, Preston show. Sprinkle sounds mm-hmm. like a drag name. I don't know why. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, he missed out on his true calling, huh? huh? And, and, the, and he, like, he looks like a very hunky guy oh, a little he? bit. Like, so, like, he, his man. name, Preston his name Sprinkle. and his appearance mm. do, don't match. Like I think of Preston Sprinkle, I think of like this dude's a nerd, like, like, an old like dude. stereotypical nerd, like an old or an old man. But like no, I'm like I look at this guy, I'm, I'm like Sprinkle. I feel like bad. it's a very flamboyant. Like I feel like he should be kind of peacocking, you know? Like I think yeah. it could be like a like a zaddy, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Or like he, he has the nickname like Presty Sprinky. Like yeah. you know, I yeah, guys, but, but wear no. like pimp clothes and kind of like yeah. strut around. Yeah. I, but he wrote a book saying see, we should love these people. Yeah, we should definitely right. love these people that are definitely going to hell. Was that like, really you know, it? it? It's like no. I mean, I, I'm that's that's lacking some of his nuance. Like he definitely <laughs> made it sound better than that. But ultimately, yeah, he takes a non-affirming position. You, you know, he does better than a lot of the evangelicals in that he would. You know, there was, and this is. There's a fight within conservative evangelicalism about whether it's sinful on the face just to be same sex attracted, you know? Like, are they just innately, or is it only a sin if they're having gay sex? Oh, right? that was like when or, I thought it was like a, I literally, when I went to college, because I like was trying to be American. So I like became part of the Baptist Student Union. And I remember saying to my mom, who was like shocked and appalled, I was like, Mom, it's like alcoholism. Like, yeah, you're, you have those tendencies, but you can choose not to be. And my mom was like, Right. Looked at my dad like, did she just gay people and alcoholism? What is wrong with her? Who raised her? And I mean, that was, I, yeah, that makes the, the other one, you know, people bring this up in my comments all the time when I talk about, but they love to compare it to like, you know, being attracted to minors or something, you know, it's like, how, what the fuck? No, because it's about a power you? dynamic. And that's the part that I really I mean, appreciate. That's harmful. Like to not be able mm-hmm. to differentiate consensual loving relationships from abuse is, and that to me gets at one of the main issues is like all of these things are so disconnected from our own sense of what's right and wrong. It's like we're ar- arguing about these arbitrary concepts about who's allowed to have sex with who. Like none of it That's has really to do with like what's causing harm, like who mm-hmm. is being loved here, who's being affirmed here. It, does it, what is the, does the research say that this is good for people or bad for people? I mean, if we're going yeah. by like data, hey, um, anti-gay rhetoric kills kids. How about that? So if we're talking about loving our neighbor, if the law of loving neighbor is supposed to be the trump card, then how about we play that one and we just push all the little debates to the side and we love our neighbors by like choosing to believe the thing that doesn't result in more dead kids. Yeah. And that's, that was my biggest thing when I, I don't know if you like my kind of sharing my story. Like I, I was a youth pastor when I left and it was like, I remember telling them that way. Like if I screw this up, if a kid comes to me and I screw this up, I have to do their funeral. Right. So like I have to get this right. Mm-hmm. And if giving them an opportunity to be fully affirming of themselves and for me to be fully affirming of them, if that's going to keep them alive, 
then I'm going to err on that yeah, side. Absolutely. Like, and that was I'm you not, trusting your gut, your intuition. Yes. You had a moral sense that said, mm-hmm. okay, I don't know exactly how to parse every single text here. I can see that there's arguments on both sides, but like I have a sense of what's right and wrong. Call it mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit, call it whatever you want. And we in evangelicals are not trained to listen oh, to Oh, not to listen to our bodies because our bodies are wrong. We can't trust our emotions. And I think one of the things that we find over and over again with folks is, how do I learn to trust what, like, you know, the saying, like my gut, my gut intuition and to learn to trust that inner knowing and not feel guilty about trusting an inner knowing. And especially like as someone who lives within a female body. And I have so often been taught to just sort of like ignore that inner knowing and, and not see it as this like incredible gift we're given, however you want to look at it, that we have this innate sense of loving people and and this innate like there is i think in so many of us um, you just look at the even of the date the data with children right like children don't think being gay is wrong and you know it if they haven't grown up around that right and and that's the that's the stats and so it's interesting that you know how do you <laughs> how do you rule a population by teaching them they can't trust themselves right and mm-hmm. i think that's the like that's the thing that breaks my heart. And I think the hard work, and I don't know if you guys would agree, but I think the hard work after coming out of this stuff is learning to trust yourself. And yeah. because your body sometimes goes back to the old, there's no way I could be right about this. Like it should be hard to do. Well, we're trained to look for like the the black and white rule mm-hmm. and to just be told what the rules. And even if that rule doesn't make any sense, like I, I don't think that most, if, if you ask people, okay, okay, you say being gay is a sin, like why? Like, what is bad about right. it? Well, the Bible says, like, why? Like, why is this bad? There's no part of you that actually can morally get there. You can't really reason your yeah. way into it. Yeah. You just and have then to you trust get, it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get folks that are like, well, I would be gay affirming, but I just can't get past the Bible. Right. Like, or, or I would, I would, you know, allow women in ministry. This is when I heard that. I remember. I'm pretty loving God. Not so much. Exactly. Like that's what it comes down to. Like, and I remember, (laughs) I remember asking myself, like, am I more compassionate than God? Like, I, cause I feel like I am. I'm less of a dick than the divine. Who knew? Yeah. Like that's, that feels like if God is love and I am definitely more loving than whatever thing I call God that I'm getting out of this book is like then one of us is wrong and I have to figure that out. And when you're a pastor, that's really fucking scary question. One thing that's been cool for me to see in scripture as like my view of scripture has evolved is the way that you see scripture arguing with previous scripture and actually kind of applying moral reasoning and looking at the situation and being like, okay, yeah, they said that, but like, you know, you've heard it said, but I say to you, like that kind of thing happens throughout the Bible. You see these things develop where it's like, okay, you know, they were doing their best, but we could actually raise the bar a little bit here, you know? And we're invited to actually not just read it and be like, well, that settles it. I guess we have to do this. It's going to fucking kill a lot of people, but we got to follow the good book. No, we're actually supposed to be like, hey, what does love prompt us to do? What does it look like to be the most loving in these situations that God has presented to us a particular context, a particular situation that we're in in the world? And we are, I think, obligated to use our moral reasoning and the Holy Spirit within us to like, okay, what does it look like to love well right now? Not just rely on what was said a long time. And I I tried so hard to walk folks through that when I was an evangelical. Like I, I remember like, like Unix was one that I would bring up in the scripture. Cause you know, eunuchs are fun to talk about, but it's like early on, it was like, no eunuchs allowed. Eunuchs get nothing. I don't care if you've been, I don't, have, I don't care how you got there. Eunuchs don't get in. And then you get to like Isaiah and Isaiah's like, you know what? When all mm-hmm. the good shit goes down, even eunuchs will be welcomed, you know? I love when you quote and then you have Jesus talking justice. and then suddenly you get to Philip. And then this eunuch is like, what's to keep me from getting in? And like, if Philip agreed with all that was previously written, he would have been like, yep, sorry, you can't get in, bud. Like, but no, he says, there's nothing keeping me from baptizing you. And I'm like, so it's like, it's what's frustrating. What was frustrating for me as a pastor, as I was leaving was like, this is in here. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not like it's. I mean, it's hidden and you have to have well, a little I mean, more nuance and you have to think about I mean, it. In some ways, it's one of the main themes of the New Testament is they're wrestling with 
okay, Old Testament says a lot of stuff, like the food laws, like way mm-hmm. more stuff about food laws than about gay people in the Old Testament or sexuality mm-hmm. in general, all these laws. And that was going to keep out the Gentiles. It was going to keep them out. And so a Gentile comes over to, you know, Peter's house and he's like, this guy's unclean. I can't accept him. And God is literally like, no, like put aside those verses. Like, don't call anybody unclean. I call them clean. And like, that's putting aside a, like a hell of a lot of Bible verses. It's literally just like, like no, don't care about those anymore. They're just verses. Don't worry about it. Love that person. <laughs> Love that person in front of you. I, mean, I don't know. It. it seems like that's a pattern we're supposed to learn from. Not just say, okay, so when it comes to food laws, we do that. Nothing else. We will never do this with anything else. No, we're supposed to learn how to do that. Yeah, it's a way of being. Mm-hmm. I want to hear about where you are and what you're doing, if you don't mind sharing. But we're going to take a five minute break. I know it's late in the game, guys, but at least I kind of remembered. We kind of remembered With it. Two ADHD co hosts, this is, and like a really exciting conversation. This is like your welcome, friends. Go get a tea, a wine, or whatever you need to get, uh, and uh, join us back as we hear a little bit more about, you know, now that Brian's loving everybody, what's he up to? <laughs> First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. And we are back. Brian, so once you left ministry, you found a very lucrative career. No, you said you, you really had that moment where you could sort of step away and kind of think through things. Did you feel the pressure to find a meaning like a so many people talk about like, I need to find a meaningful or purposeful job or were you just like, I don't know, I just want to take some time. How did you exit? No, what did you exit to? So I actually exited to seminary at first. I, um, I, I went back to seminary. I was thinking I was going to, so I, I have a master's in ministry, but I never finished my MDiv. And so I thought I would finish my MDiv and then maybe revisit ministry from a more progressive angle. Oh. That was my initial thought. And so I did that for about a year. Without getting into these details, uh, my wife and I separated about a year after that. And I think at that point, and so I, I wasn't working. I was, you know, I was being supported. I was a kept man for, for a little bit. Um, <laughs> Why do we I laugh at that? Going back to seminary. But we do. And so I in a funny voice. It's my fault. I, so at that point, I, for multiple reasons, I mean, I had grown a little bit disillusioned with the idea of returning to ministry. Also the situation as it was really just, I needed to get my ass back to work. And so I did drop out and get back in the workforce. I got like a crappy recruiting job at first that I hated. And then I was able to figure out this project management job that I have now, which is fine. I do really struggle with what you talked about, that sense of lacking purpose, you know, feeling like I've just got like a J-O-B, you know, I I literally just, I would not be doing this if it were not for the paycheck. Whereas I always felt when I was a pastor that, I mean, I would, I felt like I wasn't just doing it for the paycheck. I mean, I know that I needed that paycheck, but there was a sense of calling there that I obviously miss. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can get addicted to that. Mm -hmm. The reality is most Americans, most of us, they, they don't, most people don't have jobs they like, you know, most people don't feel a sense of deep meaning and purpose in their jobs. And so I'm just happy to have one. The little platform that I've kind of carved out on Instagram has kind of scratched that itch just a little bit. I get to preach now for a minute and to a minute and a half at a time. <laughs> and, um, Which is really all anyone ever it's needed. It's all, yeah. Yeah. I struggle <laughs> with it. it um, I, I, I um, you know, I was a 30 minute plus guy for sure. And so this, this is a wow, learning curve, bragging. but I think, you know, I think I squeeze a lot in there. Um, I try to, try to pack in the content and do one little reel, but no, that's been... That's been actually really good for my mental health. Like that's why I started doing it. I'm not, I don't know. I don't have anything monetized or anything. I'm not making any kind of income from anything outside of my job right now, but I'm just enjoying connecting with people, feeling that sense. You know, when I was a pastor, I did not realize the extent to which I would miss that constant encouragement that you get as a pastor. Like every Sunday, people Mm -hmm. coming up to me and saying, man, Brian, that really like helped me so much. That really spoke to me. What you said really challenged me. It was so helpful. All that, like I get that every single week. And when that disappeared, that was like a tough 
I didn't realize how much I was relying on that. And then also to, at the same time, uproot myself from that whole community and lose like most of my friend group and have to rebuild really all of my relationships were tied to the church, which is why it's such a scary thing to leave. You know, you, you can judge me for staying as long as I did. I judge myself a little bit. It's a little embarrassing in some sense, but at the same time, it's a hard thing to step away from all your friendships and your community and the people that are counting on you. And to think that to take this step will mean all those people that were so important to you for so long will think of you totally different right. and talk about you behind your back. Write you off, I think is the the tough part is like now you all of a sudden become in a different category. But I think the thing that people should, you know, as someone who left the progressive community, people don't necessarily think of me differently. They don't think my necessarily my beliefs or whatnot changed. But people, there is a false sense of friendship when you are a pastor that we don't, no one ever talks about. Um, it's this para friendship thing. And, and you realize, I think after you leave, you're like, oh, all these people that I thought were my friends, turns out like in the, in other language, they were like my clients or my, right. you know, my customers. And that's a weird thing to feel because you invested in these lives. And for some, I'm, I've been so lucky. I had a, an early birthday party this weekend and so many of the people there were people that used to be in my church community and that's cool mm-hmm. it was so rad and i <laughs> i realized too that were that who i was changed to a lot of people and in, you're right having that like feedback <laughs> like justin project managers too by the way i think that's hilarious and that's kind of what i'm doing mm-hmm. for a, a lot of the companies that i um, consult for is just project management but there is something to be said about it's a skill set we have, guys. But no one's like, oh my gosh, thank you for making that timeline happen. You inspired me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will never no, be the same. I don't even you inspire have to get this myself. Done when? Yeah, no. Although I have to tell you guys, a good looking uh, like spreadsheet, come on, there's nothing better. I'm not that into it. I got to be honest. I am not a spreadsheet guy. This might not be the career for me because that that does not get me going. Oh, no, I can't create them. I just really value them in other people. (laughs) But no, what you said resonated for sure. The idea of being written off was a hard, even so, like I said, as soon as I stepped down, I very quickly became affirming, but it took me almost a year to talk about it publicly. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I wanted to right off the bat. I was like, okay, I, I was public in my you know, anti-gay theology. And so I need to be public now, but it took me a little while just, and I gave myself that grace. And actually I talked to my gay friends about it a lot because they, I was like, yeah, I kind of processed it with them and they were very understanding, I think more than anybody in some ways, because they know that process of coming out, you know, and how that can just take some time. But I, I got to the point where I had to Uh, be more, you know, I could, I cared more about what my gay friends thought about me than what that group of people thought about me, even though I knew they'd put me in like that category of kind of sub Christians, you know, like the Episcopals or Methodists were also in there. Like fake. I mean, what do you even call yourself that for? You toss that word around. It means nothing. (laughs) Um, And and I knew that because I, I was there. I remember how we spoke about these people who didn't, they didn't hold the line, you know? And, but now I think it's so silly. Like it is cool how time does heal things and make and shift. And it's like, it doesn't really matter. Like, let them talk about me. And I, I'm still friends in like a certain sense with a lot of those folks in the sense that like, I have no, I mean, I've told all of them like, Hey, you come in town, let's get a beer. Like I'm your bud, you know? And they would say that they love me, but I think they don't know what to do with me. Yeah. You know, like, it's not like they're like, Oh, Brian left us. We hate him now. They're not like that. But it's, it is like, if they talk to me, it's very awkward. Every now and then they'll check in on me and ask me like, how are you doing? And they sound so concerned because like, they're so worried about me. You're for sure on a prayer list. I'm no, they literally sent a churchwide email that said they were praying for me. When I released my videos about affirming, you know, affirming gay, gay relationships, they removed my sermons from the website and sent a churchwide email that's, you know, just to avoid confusion, <laughs> in case any of you are watching this guy, we don't believe that. They, they would just to clarify, like Brian's been saying the same stuff. That is not in the Bible. We do not agree. And this is very hard because um, he's our friend and we're praying for him, you know? So I, I say that, you know, kind of facetiously. I, I kind of... It's painful. I don't know. I don't want to demean them. I, I get it. They, they have like, they have a value to their institution. Or a, it's like a a damage control thing that happens, you know? It's scary Mm -hmm. too. I think so many people have told me that watching me leave was something that they kind of scorned or 
whatever. Uh, and they said, I realized later that it was because it's scary to me that you can leave because mm-hmm. it's scary to them that perhaps the thing that they think, because often it's people who are cisgender, heterosexual that don't have those, you know, and so it's easy for them to say, this is what I think about this issue instead of, and, and, and but in the darkness in the night, they think, I think I think wrong. And right. it is when you help people see within themselves their own hypocrisy, it's scary. It's really Guys, scary. This is crazy. You can just leave. Yeah, you can just leave. Or like mm-hmm. you can say that you love these people and like God or the divine or however, um, it isn't an immediate and the and the world opens up a little bit. And uh that's I remember I was I think I told you just that one time I was I was actually sitting here in this house and one of my um parishioners at the time, I was still a pastor, came up and he like knocked on my door and he came to my house. He's like, I can love everybody. I am more loving than I have ever been. And he was like mm-hmm. dumbfounded. He's like, I don't have to hate mm-hmm. people. Did that's you know great. that? Did you like it? All of a sudden, we were we had been reading through actually Richard Rohr book. I don't know. That's suspicious. I know somebody should check into that. Well, it was really hard for him because he came similar to yeah. you. He came his both of his uh, parents were in ministry. His brothers are pastors, and he had this like like trying to live up to their like level of hate. I, I they don't hate people. Like you know, they don't think they right. hate people. But you hate the sin, I mean, not the sin. Right. And so when his like heart got open, he's like. My brother was sitting there telling me, like, I'm really concerned about you. He's like, I'm not worried about you. And he's like, I'm having this conversation with my brother. Like, dude, like, I'm excited for wherever you're at. And his brother was just like, they don't give you a script for this. When someone mm-hmm. is just like, I'll let you be you and I'm going to be me. Like, I'll see you later. Yeah. Literally. Like, why is that such a hard thing? Yeah. Like, like I'm not going to fight you. Like, wait, wait, wait. You're yeah. not going to fight me? No. You're not going to have a theological debate with me? Like, um, that was the thing. Like, when I... Like I, I'm, I call myself agnostic now, mostly because I think that is the response that elicits the least amount of follow-up questions. <laughs> like, like, cause if you say you're a Christian, like, Oh, well, right. not that kind of Christian. And then it's like, here's, here's a five page paper on right. the kind of Christian I am. And then like atheist almost feels like a little too edgy. <laughs> like, like, Oh, like how did you get there? But like agnostic people are like, he just doesn't think about this and maybe he doesn't want to talk about Mm -hmm. it. And that's fine. So that's, that's the response I want. But like people like want to debate me about stuff. And I'm like, I don't care to do that. Like I don't like, I literally, like I, I want to love people. I want to, I want to reduce harm. Like, well, how do you define that without objective truth? Like, um, people know what harm is generally is it like Like, we also study these things you know like like, we we live in a very loving society in some ways i mean not the best in other ways but like we actually there are a lot of people that are actively looking into things we we find we we find out what's harmful and what's not and we can learn mm -hmm. things like you know for instance the suicide rate amongst lgbtq youth you know and we have to have open hearts to like change and learn and respond to information that we're given no, I, I agree. I'm not trying to change anybody's mind with my content that I'm putting out there, really. That's kind of what I love I, about I it, Brian. Honestly, argue, like, it's invitational. I feel like the, the videos that you do and the reason that I reached out to you is I love how inv- inv- invitational and storytelling there. You're like, this is who I am and this is where I'm at. And like, I invite you to think through these things. I have not felt in any way like you were trying to, there was no agenda. There was no um, sense of like, I got it all figured out. And I think that's what so many people are looking for right now is someone to say, I'm on this with you, man. Like I've been there. I'm sharing my thoughts. And the reality is like, if it helps somebody else make sense of their experience, awesome. If it helps put words to something that somebody else is feeling awesome. If it helps you feel a little less alone, awesome. I don't think it's really going to, I don't think people change their minds on the internet. You know, I don't know that they do, but I also think there is something to be said about people who are similar to you that only a voice like yours will be able to be at least a little bit heard. And even if they're angered, you don't know where it's going later. And I think that's, that's a good point. That's the piece of you agree with that. Yeah. Cause I think you can see yourself in somebody and be like, huh, I disagree with that. But Why? that like lodges something in you. It kind of maybe sits there for a while. Some, Germany's. some might say you're planting seeds. Uh, I'll say this too. Uh, one of the things I value and I 
I joke around with Justin about it a lot, but um, people who are willing to uh, like magnify the voices of others, like uh, Justin is very much a, a feminist to the point of checking in with me all the, when we first started working together, we'd be like, Hey, have I been like too much running? Over? And it is lovely. It's absolutely lovely. But what I think is beautiful is that there are voices that other people absolutely shut themselves down to that you two have a chance to speak in front of. And both of you are people who magnify the voices of the other. So like today I saw you quote some womanist theologians. Those pe- some of their pe- There are some people that read your and look at your content that would never be exposed right. to womanist theologians. Now you don't know what they're going to do with it, but that's what I mean by invitational. And so I think that's the... That's the yeah. perk, and I'm not sure where it all goes, but it's really fun to be on this no, journey. I don't know, I agree. And part of me didn't like, I'm like, oh, this stuff is already out there. People have been talking about this so much. I mean, these theologians have been doing such amazing, feminist theologians have been out there talking for so long. They're doing such amazing stuff. What do they need me for? And of course, I'm not needed, but there are maybe people that would hear me that wouldn't hear somebody else, and I can put something in front of them that they wouldn't have seen otherwise. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And that's the beauty mm-hmm. of it all. And that's, that sounds very different to me, Brian, than someone who needed to hear that they were great every week. Yes. Okay. Right. So you're saying that I shouldn't be too hard on myself about my egotistical like desire to be seen. I will say this. I, um, you know, I I said I was an Enneagram five, I think I I've learned that I probably have a four wing that like whole individualist thing, like the need to be special. I didn't realize I had a four wing until after I stopped being a pastor and I wasn't as special anymore. And now I'm like, Oh, I miss being (laughs) special. (laughs) And so I think Mm -hmm. four. I love it. Coming out to play. Just as a seven, and it is a delight. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was nice boy. having an audience and some, and like it was like a comedy routine every week. Like I could just <laughs> just like let's just have fun. Yeah. <laughs> let's have fun with this. Yeah, you, but, but my problem is, is I have enough of that like Enneagram five, like line to five, yeah, where do. it was like let's have fun with this like new theological idea I'm going to put in front of you guys. Isn't this interesting? What if gay people aren't sinners? Huh? <laughs> what do you think yeah. about that for a second? Like, like, whoa That's there, buddy. Hey, I'm just having fun. I'm just <laughs> asking questions. <laughs> Mixing like, it up. Mixing it up. Whereas I'm a three. I'm like, is this perfect? Is everything perfect? Am I okay? Are we all okay? <laughs> guys, if you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the cult called Enneagram. Uh, and mm-hmm. we've talked about it several times before because a lot of people use that as a helpful way of understanding themselves and others in the world. And if you want to read a book that drags Enneagram sevens, read Richard Rohr's book on the Enneagram. Okay. Oh, really? I feel like he he's most harsh on fours too. and sevens mm-hmm. in that poor book. I feel like you probably just saw that because you're a seven, maybe. maybe you probably. Like, and I was like, hey, hey, that's not me. Stop that. Ouch, no, Richard. Check that out. I, did, I love getting dragged by a good Richard Rohr. I 100% did not know my Enneagram number until an expert told me I was that Enneagram number because I'd lived as a two for so long because I'm a woman in the church uh, and I'm Canadian and it's got lots of stuff. And so. All Canadians are twos. Yes, I've heard that. Yeah. So, no, two. The helpful people. We're the helpful people. We're the kind. I'm so good at being kind. And it's, you know, it's never about me. Oh my God, it can't be about me. Never mind the fact that I always had to like star and everything and be the first and the, you know, all the things that are normal of the three. And then uh, our friend Jen Hatmaker lost her ever loving mind on me. It was like, you are a three. My three saw your three, <laughs> bowed down and walked across and hugged you. Like, of course you're a three. And I was like, you're wrong. And then later was like, oh, maybe you're right. Like the Enneagram's hard because the thing you hate is often who you are. And I, I just want to be a little two who just helps everybody. But turns out I... Need a stage, which is fine. All right, Brian, (laughs) thank you so much for joining us. I have to ask you, what is one thing that has been super helpful for you? We always like to give like one thing for folks, you know, because a lot of people are going to relate to your story. So what has been one thing that's been helpful and and in no way saying that you've arrived at feeling awesome about everything, but what is one thing that you think was helpful for you in this process or journey? So I do go to church. I'm not a member of a church. I go to a progressive affirming church that makes me feel safe and I go when I feel like it. So I'd say what's helpful is guilt-free. Some Sundays come around and I don't feel like going to church. I don't fucking go. (laughs) I don't even need a reason. Like it could be a reason if something happens, if we're something planned, I don't feel any guilt if something's planned. If nothing's planned and I don't feel like going, I don't go. But sometimes if I feel like going, I go. And it's been a redemptive thing to get like discover a new relationship with church, I think. 
to go with no fear that's motivating me. I'm not going because I'm worried I might go to hell if I don't go. I'm trying to rediscover any kind of joy in the act of worship and the community of it. And so I feel like giving yourself like a lot of grace in regards to um, letting yourself off the hook, but like slowly rediscover, if, if you think that could be helpful. Like, I don't think this is for everybody, like, but I think finding a new kind of church could be a redemptive thing for people that maybe only ever saw the kind of church that was very condemning. Like my pastor watches my videos, likes my stuff, is supportive of my content, even though I'm hypercritical of the institutional church and stuff like that. Like, you know, I was a little nervous when I talked to him about it and he was like, oh, that's awesome, man. That's great. He's one of my favorite friends. (laughs) Of course he was great. Yeah. So, I mean, not everybody maybe can find a church quite like that. I do think they're out there. And so I pointed a lot of people to, I like, I like helping people find progressive affirming churches. That's fun for me. Because I think it's worth a shot. I mean, it's not for everybody. But if that's important to you, if you want to hold on to that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So that's been good for me. And I have no, I'm, I'm giving myself like a lot of time to get involved at my own pace, you know. I love that. Um, I like to oh, that's great. laugh because your church is a church that I preach at most often in the last like five, uh, two years. <laughs> And yet I don't think we've ever met. And your pastor is literally one of my close friends. I probably didn't know one of those. Probably he's like, there's a chick preaching. I don't know about feel about it. I didn't do it. No, I'm just kidding. You can take the complimentarian out of the man, but you can't. Um, I'm not going to get preached okay. to by no woman. I am gonna- no, I, actually, the first time I ever went, I want to say that it was a, and I don't remember her name, but it was a woman the first time I went. And I think she was a gay, I think it was a gay woman. And it was a lesbian who preached the first time I went. I was like, this is interesting. This is new for me. I've never mm-hmm. been preached to by there a gay woman before. All right. Um, it's a cool um, community. I will say that. And right I just gave it a little shout out. It is called Church on Morgan. But don't stalk mm-hmm. Brian. Don't drop into his DMs. Leave him, leave him alone. He's growing on his own. Friends, we are so grateful. Uh, thank you so much, Brian. Where can folks find your amazing content? Um, I'm pretty much just on Instagram. B-E-Recker. R-E-C-K-E-R. B-E-Recker on Instagram. I should probably put my stuff on TikTok because that's where the kids are, but I can't be bothered. I tried. It was... I have a lot. Of- I'm an avid consumer of TikTok, but I, I'm the kind it's of person that if I out. make something and it goes viral, I turn off the app and delete it and never come back. <laughs> I do. I, I, so, but also, as you said, leave me alone. But I will say, I actually do respond to DMs pretty yeah. much. Like, if, yeah. if substantive ones, like if people have questions, I actually have really enjoyed feeling a little bit pastory again and like not mm-hmm. giving people the right. Like, one thing I don't miss about being a pastor is like having the certainty and the right answers. I don't have none of that. I love to hear your experience and share my experience. Yeah. And if that's helpful, I'm here for that. And I also love that that's you cool. share those DMs, obviously, with the names blocked out, but just so other people know, like, oh, other people are wondering. Other people are wondering oh, yeah. the people same thing. This, this thing sparked this thing and that person as well. And I think that's where community is. And that's where we find some healing and wholeness. So thank you so much, Brian. Thank you, Justin. And thank you so much, friends, for listening. And uh, as always, we are really appreciative of you. If you want to follow us or join our Discord recovery room, a place where people just hang out and talk through all these things, you are more than welcome. And actually, you still, by the time this episode comes out, you still have time to join us at Theology Beer Camp. Rev Recovery God Pod is the discount code. And it would be so fun to see you and talk to you in real life. So I think I convinced Brian to come. So yeah, I, I, I bought a ticket. I still need to figure out my flight and other things, but I is theoretically coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're enjoying the conversations you hear on recovery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in what's known as the recovery room on discord to access our discord. Please join our Patreon to be a part of this community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and that gives you access to the community resources as well as it helps us to be able to produce the show. Check it out on patreoncom slash recovery. Now we know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are so many ways you can support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you are currently listening and make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Recovery Room is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and that's our handle. So come find us and let's keep the conversation going. On to some final thoughts and this week's poem. Thank you so much for sticking around for the quote today. It's going to be a quote today. It's actually going to be maybe a series of quotes, mostly because I wanted to 
kind of tease out a couple things and about this conversation and just what kind of stirs in me and and what better place to go in my mind than some of the quotes of Carl Sagan. And I want to just kind of tease out a few things and sit with them for a bit and meditate, if we will, on what it's like to be curious and to remain curious and what it's what it means to have a universe that's much bigger than we thought. And here's the quotes. For myself, I like a universe that includes much that is unknown and at the same time much that is knowable. A universe in which everything is known would be static and dull, as boring as the heaven of some weak-minded theologians. A universe that is unknowable, though, is no fit place for a thinking being. The ideal universe for us is one very much like the universe we inhabit, and I would guess that this is not really much of a coincidence. Every kid starts out as a natural-born scientist, and then we beat it out of them. A few trickle through the system with their wonder and enthusiasm still intact. And at the heart of science is an essential balance between two seemingly contradictory attitudes, an openness to new ideas, no matter how bizarre or counterintuitive they may be, and the most, and the most ruthless skeptical scrutiny of all of ideas, old and new. This is how deep truths are winnowed from deep nonsense. I share these quotes today, I think, because this is the journey that we are on, a journey from a universe that maybe we thought was knowable into something that is more unknown. And a journey kind of back into our childhood where we were curious, but also we all the essential task of remaining skeptical as well in this balance. And I think that this conversation kind of teased at that. And I want us to think about that this week. How can we balance an openness to new ideas while at the same time holding on to skepticism and holding on to our understanding of the universe as it is, how we would like it be to be, and also grieving in some ways the universe that we thought we had. Thank you so much for listening this week. We'll see you next time. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.